Thanks for joining us for the Connect Podcast. I'm Cole Phillips, the lead pastor of the Connection Church, and every week we're going to look into the Bible to find out how God's Word connects to our everyday lives. It's going to be life-changing. The Connect Podcast is produced every week for your growth and inspiration. You can find all the show notes at makingtheconnection.org. You can also find the podcast on your favorite podcasting service, Follow me on Twitter at Cole Phillips and on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Now, let's get into the study. All right, I'm so glad that you're joining me today. I'm looking forward to getting into this together with you and uh, just uh, excited about getting into God's Word so we can get God's Word into our life so that we can get it out of our life into the world around us. We're walking uh, passage by passage through the book of Acts, and we're looking at the Acts of the early church, the Acts of the Apostles. Really, this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because this is the move of the Holy Spirit um, starting the church, and we see the church develop. And one of the things that's funny about church life is um, in many churches, and certainly the church you know, tradition that I grew up in, it's all about the church committees. You got to have committees for everything. One church I was at, they had a committee called the Committee of Three. And I was always curious, what was the Committee of Three all about? What were they talking about in that Committee of Three? There was another time when I was pastoring and uh, I... So, so in a church with committees, you know, and you've got... I forget all the kinds of committees. You got the building committee and you've got the the fellowship committee and the kitchen committee and the uh you know the the children's committee and just all of these different things well in in one the church where I was pastoring back years ago we had you also have a committee on committees a committee on committees and their job is to find all the people who will be on uh, the other committees and so I remember uh, trying to uh, at the last minute because they didn't do their job, the committee on committees. So I jumped in and I started trying to do the work of the committee on committees to put people on committees. And I thought, well, then I will also be doing whatever their job is as well. So, you know, that's kind of the way that it works in churches many times is uh, the com- you've got all these committees And someone said this, they said, a committee is composed of people who individually can do nothing, who come together to conclude that nothing can be done. Uh, Or this is another one that says, uh, a a committee is a group of the unwilling picked from the unfit to do the unnecessary. And so, um, so, you know, the way um, we do things uh, at our church now is we have, instead of having committees, the committee's primary job is to make decisions and to tell other people what to do. Instead, we have ministry teams. And on ministry teams, you have people who um, are actually on the front lines of those ministries, who actually know what's happening in those ministries, and who make the decisions for those individual ministries and how they're going to uh, do things. Now, today, the reason I'm talking about this is because 
uh, because we're looking at Acts chapter 15 and we're getting into a chapter that is really, it's not really a committee uh, meeting. You might call it a church, one of the, it was the first church business meeting. And you know how business meetings can be. They can be uh, difficult. Uh, a good business meeting is when, you know, uh, no one shows up perhaps, but you know, if a bunch of people show, show up, then there's going to be trouble. And so that's kind of what happened in Acts chapter 15. This is the story of a great meeting that took place called the Jerusalem Council. And it's an important turning point in the early church because all the apostles came together here to make, to discuss this issue and to make a decision. And their decision that they made is so important uh, because they weren't really they weren't really deciding on how it was going to be, but they were they were under coming to an understanding of how it's done. That salvation is by grace through uh, faith, by grace through faith alone. And so there were two questions that had come up in the early church about how to be saved, and it was, "Are you saved by the?" Uh, religious rituals that you do, or um, is it simply that you are saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus? Do you have to uh, accept the whole Old Testament law before you can be saved? And that was the question they were dealing with. So, so let's read in. Um, let's read starting in verse one. We're going to read verses one through three to begin with. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So this basic question, do you have to go through some ritual or some ceremony in order to be saved? And so there were these protesters that had risen up in the Judean churches, and they were a powerful force whose arguments and their emphasis um, continued, continued. That This is one of the two major, what I would call cults in the New Testament, deviations from Orthodox uh, biblical Christianity. And this is um, the error known as the Judaizers. And the Judaizers believe that you're saved by your own good works and your own good deeds and efforts. So the visitors from Jerusalem were in these groups of Antioch believers there. They were kind of infiltrated there, and they taught their own ideas. But they had infiltrated so much to the point that they were the teachers and some of the leaders. And yes, they knew the Bible. They knew the Old Testament. Um, and in fact, they were some of the very first believers, so they were considered more mature. They were respected elders and thought of very highly. That's the kind of people who were leading out in this error of teaching. And what they said was um, 
considered to be very important. The problem was if they were allowed to continue, then the believers there in Antioch would be confused about salvation and it would cause a lot of division. It would have split the, the church there in Antioch and ruined their witness and their effectiveness. And they very clearly said this. They very clearly said, these protesters, uh, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Okay? Um, I'm going to uh, hope that you understand uh, what circumcision is. And it's so interesting that this is a topic I'm seeing debated today about circumcision, uh, not necessarily for salvation, but uh, certainly the whole issue of that is being discussed and debated uh, contentiously and hotly um, but uh, out, out in our culture. Um, but what was happening here in this case was people's eternity was at stake. Um, they weren't saying circumcision uh, was important if you want to be obedient to scripture or you should be circumcised in order to please God or to please the church or to show your love for your neighbor or you should be circumcised to identify with other believers uh, or not be a stumbling block. They were saying you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, in order to have the favor of God on your life and be accepted into the church. Um, so they were saying, yes, there's God's grace, plus there's something you do. There's God's grace, plus there's this ritual. There's a spiritual thing, what God does, and there's this physical thing, which was circumcision. Before Christ, circumcision was a physical sign that a man was following after God. It was a sign that he believed God's promises that he had made to Abraham and Israel. And yet God intended for it to be a sign, not to be something required for salvation. Circumcision or any surgery or any physical act cannot make you right before God. It can't, couldn't do that for Abraham. You see that in Romans 4, verse 9 and 10. It was simply a sign of faith that someone already believed in God's promises. But righteousness is given by God when someone, through faith, believes God's promises. Then the response was that man was circumcised as a sign of his faith in God. But many people, as we often do, get very confused about that. All of a sudden now, people make the act uh, a substitution for actual, being actually right with God. Yeah, I mean, if you had this circumcision, it must mean automatically that you are right with God, even if you didn't believe God, even if you didn't love other people. And so many people forgot the necessity of having a pure heart, and they became uh, Jews of the circumcision in name only. Circumcision was just a external physical sign. And some people use circumcision to divide and categorize people. They threw up a wall of division around those who were uncircumcised, and they were considered far from God, and they were looked down on because they had this mistaken belief. They thought, well, God only has chosen us, and the we're God's people, and no one else is. 
And, and so when Christ came, God removed circumcision as a sign of being right with him. Now being right with God is a matter of your heart and your spirit instead of it being about the letter of the law. To be right with God means that your spirit has been reborn, has been made new, and God's spirit and his own nature of righteousness and holiness has been imputed, imparted into your nature when you are born again by God's spirit. You become a new creation. Now, notice this. Paul never said, don't be circumcised. Like He never said that was wrong. He, he said that since Jesus has come, then circumcision is a personal decision, and it's a matter of your conscience. And if you want to do it, feel free. And down through the centuries, many non-Jewish people have been circumcised, but that doesn't make you Jewish. And it doesn't make you a Christian. The physical act of circumcision doesn't make you a Jew any more than any other physical ritual makes you a member of any other race. You cannot change certain unchangeable facts given to you by God when you are uh, conceived. No matter what body parts you may alter or cut off or add on, uh, you cannot change who you are, and it certainly doesn't change your uh, your righteousness or your standing with God. Uh, again, the issue here, here is not whether you should be circumcised. It was, is it required in order to be saved? And this answer is so important because not only did it affect those Christians then, but we need to know that answer as well. Is your relationship with Jesus based simply and completely on who Jesus is? Or is it also something that you would do, that you would add? Does uh, a person uh, get saved or are they saved when they are focused solely on Jesus? Or is it Jesus and, Jesus plus, some ritual or, or uh, liturgy or ceremony or effort? Well, the answer is very clear, and the answer is God has his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who has proven his uh, love and his, who he is by being completely obedient to God, even to the point of suffering on the cross for all the sins of the world. And God does not add anything to the plan of salvation that would take our focus or our attention off of Jesus. Okay? He doesn't he doesn't need us to do anything more than what Jesus already has done. Um Romans 3:20 says for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law is there to teach us that we need Jesus to point the way to Jesus. Okay, that doesn't mean that, oh, I shouldn't be baptized, um, but uh, it means that baptism is not required for salvation. Okay, that that is something we do out of obedience to God, but it's not a requirement. Baptism doesn't save you. And a person 
who has their eyes on Jesus is focusing on Jesus. And so, yes, we're going to obey him out of our love for him, out of a response of all that he has done for us. But in every case, you are saved by Jesus and you owe your salvation to Jesus alone. And so Paul and Barnabas, they were vehement as they argued uh, against this heresy, this false teaching that um, they said, no, circumcision is not required for salvation. And they went after it hard and long and they didn't give uh, an inch. And this was so important to Paul uh, because he knew what was hanging in the balance and he went to extreme limits to argue his case. Uh, Now, you know, Paul wasn't one to waste his time arguing frivolous points or getting involved in silly arguments. Instead, he took on the big stuff, the things that really mattered. And so this shows us how important this issue is. And so what did the Antioch church do? Do they actually got counsel uh, from the Jerusalem church? The Antioch church uh, wasn't confused about what was right. They weren't looking for the Jerusalem church to teach them about the doctrine of salvation, but they they needed everyone to come together and everyone to understand this truth that you're saved by grace through faith alone. Um, so, um, or saved by, <laughs> you're saved by placing your faith in Christ. And so God told Paul to go. He said, I went up by, in Galatians 2, he said, I went up by revelation. And, and so this was a God-ordained counsel that took place that would issue this final verdict, again, not, um, not deciding what was right, but proclaiming what actually is true. And this would carry a lot of weight because it's all the, all the apostles, and it would put to rest, hopefully, those people who said, hey, you got to do some ritual in order to be saved. Of course, there are still people who are saying the same things uh, today. But this Jerusalem church declaration would be a great uh, weapon to use um, against works-based salvation. Um, Because Jerusalem was where, like, there was a bunch of rituals because there were so many uh, there who, who were caught up in this error as well. Salvation by grace alone. Uh, then would be strengthened. Um, Galatians 2.16, Paul says this, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Obeying the law is not what will save you. For one, you can't do it perfectly, okay? We just can't. We need Jesus. And so we see here the progress and the victory of the church here. Um, In fact, the the verse here says, it says um, in Acts 15, it says the church sent them on their way. And so as Paul and Barnabas started their journey to Jerusalem, 
there was a group from the Antioch church that went with them, traveled with them as a sign of respect and honor and love. And even though Paul was always encountering opposition, there was a part of every church that was uh, would oppose him. There were still many believers who loved him and respected him very deeply. And they used every opportunity they had to preach, to share the good news. As they traveled toward Jerusalem, as they were going, they were talking to the churches about Jesus and the fact that now those outside of uh, Israel could be saved and, and were welcomed into the church if they put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And they were proclaiming this great move of God to include the Gentiles, which means anyone, anyone in the world can now be saved. Anyone who will come to Jesus um, through their placing their faith in him. And so, so then we move on to verses four and five here. I want us to read in uh, Acts 15 verse four, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And this addresses a much bigger picture and a bigger question about salvation. Do you have to accept the whole law before you can be saved? Do you have to accept the whole law of, of the Old Testament? Well, Paul and, and his team there were welcomed by the Jerusalem church, including the apostles and the elders. And that was so important that they were, they were welcomed in and they had this formal church meeting. And Paul was reporting then to the church and to the church leaders in this call meeting. There were two days of meetings where Paul reported everything that God had done. Okay, now listen, Paul wasn't saying that he had saved anybody. This is something God had done, and God had um, confirmed that this is what he was doing. Um, the Jerusalem protesters there um, who were arguing for works-based salvation, they belonged, it says, to the party of the Pharisees. And that's interesting because it tells us that many Pharisees who were the schooled teachers of the law, religious leaders of the day, they also accepted Jesus as the Messiah after his resurrection. They That makes sense because they were looking for the promised Messiah. They knew the scriptures very well. So when they heard the apostles prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, they knew it. If they were honest, they opened their heart, they would be touched and convicted by the Holy Spirit. They would be converted but they would see it perhaps a little differently. Maybe they saw Jesus more as a fulfillment of Judaism, not the replacement of Judaism. They saw it as a, an add-on, an addition uh, to the law, not replacing um, the, the law. And, and they saw adding Jesus as an add-on, adding on to the rituals, not replacing the rituals. They would be slow to make their changes because they had had a lifetime of training and, and commitment to trying to keep the law. And it would be hard for them to completely rest their faith and their trust in 
the righteousness of Jesus. And so they didn't make a complete break. They and But notice this, there were only certain ones who rose up against the message of salvation. So there were some Pharisees who indeed, you know, really became full followers of Jesus. But the bigger discussion is bigger than just, you know, the, the rite of circumcision or the ritual of circumcision. The question really was, uh, back in Antioch, do you ha- does a man have to be circumcised to be saved? But in Jerusalem, it became a bigger question. Do you have to keep the whole law in order to be saved and brought into the church? And it's so interesting and even disheartening that people are still asking this same question today. You know, they're still saying, hey, you, you, you can earn God's favor instead of just receiving God's favor. Um, so it's not the law that makes you acceptable to God. It's confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, you don't have to work to make yourself right with God. You completely depend on his righteousness because we're not asking God to praise us for our own good works. We're coming to praise God for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that is the difference between religion, the world's religions, and Christianity. Religion is spelled D-O, do. It's what you do. And as a result, we get caught up in our own do, do, do. Uh, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. And it's all about that that it's what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Jesus did it all on the cross. Religions say, do this, do that, work hard, hope, uh, but you can never really know for sure. You never can be certain if you've done enough. Go on a pilgrimage, say a prayer, be reincarnated, hand out you know literature at the airport, whatever it is. Jesus says, you can know for certain. Jesus says, you can't do enough good works on your own to get you into heaven. And that is totally different than what the the world's religions would tell you. He said, we all fall short. We've all sinned. We're all guilty before God. And that is you look at your own life and you look at the lives of others. You know, that is true. Um, All religions aren't the same. All Roads do not lead to, all dogs don't go to heaven. All roads don't lead to God. God isn't schizophrenic. It's not this way, this way, this way, this way. It is one way, one way. And that is through a real relationship with Jesus that is authentic and that is growing. Don't get caught up in the routine of religion, the religion trap. And maybe for you, You've been listening and you say, you know, I've been trusting in my own good works. I thought it was trust in Jesus and then work as hard as I can and maybe I'll be saved. That's not how it works. It's all about the finished work of Jesus, what he did on the cross for you. And maybe you've been religious, but you've never started a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You can do that today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved, not by works. Can you imagine how 
miserable heaven would be if we got there based on our own good works. We would be walking around. We'd be saying, hey, here's what I did to get here. Here's how much money I gave away. Here's how many little old ladies I walked across the street, all of that. No, no. Instead, we're all going to be saying, here's what Jesus did for me. Here's what Jesus did for me. Here's what Jesus did for me. It's because of Jesus and what he did for us that any of us are able to um, be part of God's forever family and have an eternal hope, an eternal home with him. So maybe for you, you, you're ready to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that right now. In fact, I think I'll, we'll just close this in prayer and uh, thank God for his free gift of salvation that you'd simply receive today. Dear Lord, thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us on the cross when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you alone are the way to um, to have a, a right relationship with God. You alone, Jesus, are the way for us to be forgiven of our sins. So today, uh, for those who would say, I need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give, you say, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm turning from my sin. And Jesus, I'm turning to you. And I ask that you would save me, that you would change me from the inside out and make me part of your forever family. Thank you for saving me. I'm choosing today to give you my life and to fully uh, place my life in your hands and trust you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that you had a great day, and I look forward to seeing you really soon. Thank you for joining us for this week's Connect podcast. If you liked what you heard, then be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, rate. We want to spread this good word to everybody we can who needs to hear this message. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to you joining us next week for the Connect podcast. Connect.